All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers presented by Dash Radio. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope you all had a good week. I hope you had a good weekend, whether it was productive or relaxing, depending on what you needed. We are going to talk about that somewhat predictable Laker game tonight. Um, but before we get down to that, we're going to welcome our special guest, Mr. Vinay Kilawala, one of my favorite basketball minds on Twitter. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with us tonight, sir. How are you doing? I am doing good. Did a lot of housework today and uh, tempered my expectations as to what we were going to see tonight from from this uh, from this Laker team, considering oh, how we did. <laughs> and so I had it playing in the background, uh, and then as soon as they went down super early in the game by like 20, I was like, yeah, all right. Uh, that's kind of expected. We're in Miami. A bunch of vet guys. I'm sure they're not taking it seriously. And then somehow we got a pretty exciting finish. So that was that was kind of interesting. But, you know, too little, too late, I guess, is sort of the theme of today. Yeah, we've seen that kind of game a couple of times this season. The, we come out overmatched and the fight comes, but the fight comes way too late. And at that point, mm-hmm. the other team is kind of let go of the rope. And at that point, you basically have to play perfect basketball and no one can play perfect basketball. So that's why you only see that kind of comeback once every several thousand tries. Um, yeah. But, absolutely. you know, it, it, I thought the Lakers were outclassed and outmatched in a lot of ways. It was interesting. Um, you know, gravity is a concept that we became familiar with as a result of Steph Curry having to do with the idea of panic chasing shooters around the perimeter and giving up things around the rim. And since you've kind of seen a similar effect from a bunch of really high level shooters that have come into the league and Duncan Robinson is one of them. And I thought the story at the beginning of the game was the Lakers, because they are an undisciplined team, because they are a team that has had to change defensive schemes a half dozen times this year, because they have personnel groups that all have to have specific defensive schemes ran for them. They botched coverages uh, nonstop to start the game, mostly sending multiple players at Duncan Robinson and then sending multiple players at the roll man, which is a recipe for wide open dunks and layups and threes on the back end. Uh, And it was sloppy and Miami controlled it throughout. And even when we came back at the end, I thought it was more product of Miami letting up and us just simply playing harder. Um, So I didn't really take too much from that, but Before we, you know, get into some of the larger scope stuff, because I do want to talk a little bit about um, just how we move forward from here. But what was your initial takeaway or just your overhead takeaway from the game today? Yeah, so, um, you know, I I thought we started off really lax, like just kind of the the attitude of the team. You know, I I don't know if it's because we're starting so many vets, like the, the whole starting roster is like not really any young guys. And probably the two guys with the most energy are going to be are going to be Braun and like Russ. Um, but, but I thought they started off really flat. Um, you know, we beat Miami already, right? Like we, we beat them in an overtime mm-hmm. game in, in Staples Center at the time. And that was actually without Braun uh, and that was with AD. But like this was a game where for sure, like playing small ball probably doesn't work because Eric Spolster is sitting there saying, oh, okay, if you're going to play small ball, like watch this. Uh, and, and he just kept, you know, kind of using his bigs. Uh, finding ways to, to get to the rim, to, to get the Lakers to collapse and stuff like that. Um, I thought we looked slow, like really slow oh, yeah. compared, compared to my, and, and, you know, Miami's not one of those teams. Like it, it, you know, they didn't have Tyler Harrow. They didn't have Kyle Lowry, but they have like their, their offensive principles are in place. They're like a, I don't want to call them a system team. Cause I feel like sometimes it devalues like w- what the players do, but like mm-hmm. they know what they want to run and they know what they want to do. Um, you know, make the extra play, collapse the paint, get somebody to, 
to come come over, find the three point shooter. And I mean, they ran it to perfection. Like the reason they went up twenty, we were chasing like constantly the entire game. And then um, I, I think I don't know if you watch the, the local broadcast, but um, I did. On, mm. Yeah, on, on the local broadcast, uh, or sorry, the, the LA broadcast. Um, what's it called? Uh, Stu Lance. He was just saying like. Oh yeah, the, the entire goal is to take Dwight Howard away from the paint because they know that nobody's going to be able to come and help, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the rim and stuff like that once they get it. So it's just, you know, I, I think they, Miami came in well prepared with the game plan. They knew what the Lakers' small ball was, um, and you know, credit to Eric Spolstra and, and and those guys for executing it. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, you know, going in like talent is a huge issue here. I kind of mm-hmm. pointed this out before uh, uh, before the last game against the Magic. But when you're looking at the starting lineup and it's like, okay, I've got LeBron James. But I've got Russell Westbrook, who is mostly a shell of his former self, and we'll discuss that a little bit more later. But you've got Avery Bradley, who was literally cut by the Golden State Warriors earlier this year when buying for the 15th roster spot and is an extremely, I would call him like a one-dimensional basketball player. Like he has one elite skill, which is strictly ball pressure. And even that, mm-hmm. you know, comes with a bunch of downsides. And, and obviously, offensively, he's, he's, he's very hot and cold. And then you got Trevor Ariza, who... I actually, this is one of the big things I've been wrong about this year. I thought he'd be better than he's been. And oh, he's yeah. been re- and he's been really bad. And if you watch him now, we're not going to get too far into him, but he is actively hurting the team on both ends of the floor right now. And then you have Dwight Howard, who's a backup center. Uh, you know, a guy who definitely belongs in the league, definitely can play that backup center role on a championship level team. He's definitely not overqual- underqualified for that, but he is overqualified or underqualified to be a actual you know, um, starting NBA center on a good team. So you're looking at that starting lineup and it's, it's basically four really limited basketball players in LeBron James. And then you go to the bench and it's like, you know, we, we've been advocating for the young guys a lot, but it's like Austin Reeves, undrafted free agent, Stanley Johnson was out of the league. Malik Monk Lakers were the only team that offered him a contract THT second round pick. You're looking at this and there's just not a lot of talent on the roster. So you have to cut the team some slack as in the sense that you're not going to go on the road into Miami and just sure. beat the Miami Heat like that. But at the same time, we also functionally look like a disorganized bad basketball team. So yeah. I think that, like, I, I think even if with our adjusted expectations, they're not performing up to that level. If that so, makes sense. So, so what do you make? So the, even even the Orlando game, right? Like like uh, you already mentioned that you know we're gonna get into Russ a little bit later. Um, so so um, we can do that. And but. but like, you know, the general theme of some of these losses and a lot of the conversation about um, the, the, the losses to the playoff theme, the teams has been, you know, the, the up and down of Russell Westbrook. What version do you get? And so, like, the last two games, he's been okay. Um, yeah, he's and, been okay. But the defense has been so bad. What, what do you make of that? What do you make of, like, so how did we go from being a super terrible defensive team, even though Braun and Russ shot well in the first half of that Orlando game, we figure it out in the second half of that game. And then we show up in this Miami game and then we're completely lost yet again uh, at the start of this game. What, what do you make of that? What, what do you think that is? Is it, is it just talent? Do you think it's preparation? What, what are your thoughts on that? So it's, I think it's a bunch of things, but like, for instance, if you've got a team like a really smart defensive team, a team like the Miami heat, I think you can yeah. run really advanced schemes. Like I think you can do things where you're switching certain actions, but you're also you know, running traditional pick, traditional pick and roll coverages on other actions, or maybe you might keep a lock and trail defender on a shooter and not switch those screens. Like you can mix all of that up when you've got personnel that kind of fits into that identity of a smart defensive team. But we certainly don't have that. Like when you look at the personnel down the roster, we have too many guys 
or defense has been on the back burner during their career. Doesn't mean they can't play defense. It just means you have to simplify things for them. I think that's really important. So, for instance, like what did the Brooklyn Nets do last year? Were they asking Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant even, who is a player who has been lackadaisical on the defensive end for a lot of his career? You know, you're not going to ask those guys to do anything super advanced. And so they broke it down to something outrageously simple. Guys, just switch everything. And if they beat us one-on-one, attacking a specific matchup, we'll live with the results. But that way it's super easy. There's, it's, it's, it's a, there's no like having to decide what coverage you're running when something gets run your way. It's just we're switching everything. And, when, and, and if you lean into that the way they did for the entire season, then you get good at it. You get pretty good at it. And, you know, and one of the biggest things with switching is communicating. This is one of the big things that fell apart today as you see multiple Laker defenders run to an open three-point shooter or to an open roll man instead of just one guy going in that direction. And that's just fundamental sloppiness. You're not talking. Starting from the basic like entry levels of basketball when you're educating like a six- or seven-year-old in how to play defense, you teach them to talk. When you're on the ball, you yell ball. Why? So that everybody around you knows that you are guarding the ball. When you're one pass away, you yell deny. Why? So that everybody on the court knows that you're guarding one pass away. If you're in help side underneath the basket, you always yell midline or help, or depending on the program, it's, it's those kinds of things. Those are basic basketball things that the Lakers just aren't doing right now. They're not talking. They're not even like letting each other know what they're doing while they're on the floor. So it's, it's a yeah. combination of sloppiness and an overcomplicated scheme, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's that's been like the the biggest thing, you know. Like, um, I think if you follow if you follow the Lakers on the on on the timeline and stuff like that, especially with our losses, obviously our lowlights are, are what gets the individual lowlights. You know, Russ shooting the ball off the top of the backboard and stuff like that. That stuff will be highlighted, and and you'll just think to yourself like, oh man, this team just sucks. But there's like a fundamental issue I feel like with this team when it comes to not just effort, but it's just like. What are we doing? Like, sometimes I just sit there and watch. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I'm, I'm so confused as to why is it that we switched on this time, but then on this time we didn't switch. Like, why were we in drop? Like, why did, why did we spend the entire possession switching every single thing? And then at the very last moment, we dropped. Like, is, is, that, is that a player thing? Is that a coverage thing? You know, what is it? And so I, I think that's been sort of the, the sign. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to kind of explain it um, going from game to game. But, you know, the, the, the talent disparity is definitely one of those things. The, you know, even more than the talent disparity, the athleticism disparity seems Huge. to be crazy for this team. Like, they're like consistently – if we play a young team, a young physical team at, like, like that wants to like even, – even Orlando, that wants to get into your space and stuff like that. Even the Indiana game, like Torrey Craig's trying to press LeBron the second half of that game from full court mm. so that he can't get his rhythm or anything like that. If we play against teams that are athletic – and, and just kind of want to press us and stuff like that. This team seems to like basically fold, like pretty mm-hmm. much like it, it just allows itself to get out of rhythm and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's because we got a bunch of old guys that, you know, they're, they're just not going to do that kind of effort in the regular season, or if it's because that's just kind of what we are. Like we, we can't keep up with these sort of teams, maybe at least not until the playoffs. And so that's why we're seeing this sort of thing happen over and over again. It's, it's, it's mind boggling to see the inconsistency um, game to game. When, when it comes to these situations. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, Vinay, over the course of the summer, the entire Laker fan base was on the same page. Like, when are they going to sign someone who's taller than 6'4"? 
Yeah. <laughs> like, like that was the thing. Yeah. Cause you look at, you look at a team, like you look at a team like Miami and you're like, Oh, there's Max Struss. He's six foot six, 215 pounds and built like a truck. And you're like, you're like, that's not even what a top seven or eight player on their team, but like, he's just a big athletic player. So guess what? Yeah. Like if you're running a smart defensive scheme and the guy knows how to do his job, like he's not an easy guy to run over and get to the basket. And we used to have a bunch of those guys. And you know, this is where, you know, th- when I, when I talk about the rush trade, which we're going to get to into more detail later, I talk a lot about what was lost in the process. Like, you know, because of the, the mismatching salaries, you know, there was more money coming in. So that had directly affected the Alex Caruso thing, which then you're talking about losing Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso and KCP, like three really high level NBA athletes with size, you know, at their position that went out the door. But like a lot of that could have been undone. A lot of that damage could have been undone with if with the veteran minimums, our general manager actually approached that replacing those specific archetypes like that was we, we literally brought in because Carmelo Anthony's tall guys, but he's really like Carmelo Anthony's a lot more Shannon Fry at this phase of his career than he yeah, is Carmelo his, Anthony. His, so yeah, his his lateral like there there should be even even this is this has been an issue with even also like like Ariza since he's been back like his mobility like the mobility from some of our wings specifically Carmelo specifically like Ariza has been really really bad like mm-hmm. you can't like uh, there must have been at least two I'm trying to remember off the top of my Maybe two times where where Ariza almost like got his ankles broken just off of a jab step, like because he was trying to trying to guess which way like Caleb Martin or uh, I which Cody Martin. Came. I don't know which way it is. Like it, you could tell, like he was he was going to be in trouble. Like he didn't know what was going to happen, and, it, and it's purely because the, the the guy that he's going to go close out on is is much more athletic, much more aggressive, and these guys know. Like the opposing team knows. Hey, if if you make you know, uh, a misdirection cut. If, if you jab right and go left, or if you jab left and go right, Carmelo's going to bite. He's going to bite mm-hmm. on one of these plays and, and you're going to get a lane or Reese is going to bite and you're going to get one of these things. And, and that, and that's the part that like, um, that's the part that kind of concerns me, you know, like uh, they're minimum players. So we should probably not be, uh, you know, putting them under such a microscope because that's why they're minimum players. But I, the part that bothers me, Jay is, is why are we putting minimum players in this position? Like, it seems almost unfair to those guys. It's like, why are we asking these guys to guard athletes and, mm-hmm. and then getting mad at them for not being able to guard athletes? Like there should be some, some foresight or, or some just kind of common sense from, from our front office that these guys just can't do it. Like Carmelo's a great specialist. Like if you just stick him in a corner or, or you have him doing the trailing, the trailing threes, like he did like towards the, towards the end of this game, it's great, but he can't be like a core I got to make four rotations or four coverages in a single defensive possession. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to, you're going to get more breakdowns and you're going to get, you know, positive stuff out of it. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to see just kind of what happens. And, and um, you know, I think it's putting a lot of pressure on even guys like Braun, even guys like Russ, at least until Anthony Davis comes back. So I'm I'm hoping he comes back next game so we can see uh, how things sort of work out. It'll certainly help with slotting, although it'll be frustrating at the beginning because of the fact that uh, he's probably not going to play a ton of minutes. But this is a perfect setup for the question I'm going to ask you, because like I think that that like that fundamental approach to the offseason was where this went off the road. Even Mm -hmm. again, looking, accepting the rush trade for what it is, because we're going to get into rust later, then looking at the moves they made around that. I fundamentally disagree with the approach. So I'll give you I'll give you two examples. So Kendrick Nunn. So you could, from what I heard, 
Rudy Gay would have signed with the Lakers had they offered him the MLE. He absolutely yeah. would have done so. That was in the works. Then I guess Rob was like, no, actually, we're going to give you the veteran minimum. And then the Jazz swooped in and got him under some pressure from Mike Conley. That's what I heard. So essentially, you fundamentally decided that you thought Kendrick Nunn, because of, I don't know if it's because he fits the archetype of guard that Frank likes or because you underestimate what Rudy does offensively. But that is that basic approach. Like instead of getting this versatile wing that can guard multiple positions and do things with the basketball offensively, we're going to go for this versatile guard who can defend a little bit at his position and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, do some things with the basketball, but that size difference that kind of went down the line with all of the signings. So for instance, like instead of getting guys like Wayne Ellington, you know, or Malik Monk's actually worked out okay. But instead of that archetype, like why wasn't it more guys like Wesley Matthews, who everybody in late in the Laker fan right. base was clamoring for? Why wasn't it guys like James Ennis? Why wasn't, you know, the, the, that archetype of Stanley Johnson, that type of player who's a fringe NBA player, but brings an elite skill in the form of their athleticism. Like that is where the Lakers went off the rails. Now, you could argue we could argue when it comes to Russ as to that trade off and whether that was worth it. But even with the Russ trade, they had the ability to be bigger and more athletic than they are. And they chose not to be because for whatever reason, they told themselves that Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza was enough, which is out, which is outrageous. So, so I've, yeah, it's, 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 it's sorry, sorry. I don't want to go. Ahead, you're, finish, finish. you're good. You're good. Well, no, I, I, I was just going to tee you up. I was going to say, so, accepting that this is the reality, what would you do if you were robbed at this deadline? What would you do? Yeah. So, so my biggest, my biggest thing about this team is um, there's like, they have to raise the athletic profile of this team. Like the, especially on the wings, like there's, there should be no confusion from any Laker fans about the lack of size when it comes to just the, the perimeter and wing guys that we have. It's very clear that Carmelo and Trevor Rizzo are not uh, are not the guys that that can consistently stay uh, active uh, on the wings for this team, and, and they're not. Even if you put them in just three and D roles, they're not even doing mm-hmm. the D part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're, they're just they're just like it's not consistently good. Like at, at least with Avery Bradley, like and I know we don't like it, but at least with Bradley, you see the effort. You yeah, know he I mean? tries with Bradley. And, and, and he's trying, he, he, uh, even that Orlando game, the, the second half of that game, he got a bunch of deflections. He got a couple of dig, dig plays where he just kind of pulled the ball out of uh, the post-up guy's hand and stuff like that. So it's just like that, like you could see the effort and stuff like that when it comes to this team or, or certain players on this team. But the, on the wings outside of LeBron, especially without Anthony Davis, like we have no size whatsoever to match up. So, you know, like the, the cascading effect of, you know, trading for Russ and all that sort of stuff. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. Like I, I went on, um, you know, with our, our fellow friends, like uh, at Temple of Hoop, Jason and, and Kings, like I went preseason, I went on a, on a, com- had a conversation with them where we talked about, you know, who the Lakers should try and get and what, what moves they should make and should they trade for Russ? And I was just like, look, if the only trade you could ever make was to get Russ, then that's fine. But that shouldn't like be like our first move because he costs a he costs a lot of money and b we're gonna have to trade a lot of players away like mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma's Caruso's and that sort of stuff. But I mean Russ is here. We're, you know you and I are not Rob and Kurt, so we're not the ones making the decisions. We don't know how that how that went on the back end. But it's like very clearly if I'm Rob, I'm looking at the wings on this team and I'm thinking to myself, these guys can't keep up 
with like the, the like the best teams in the league. Like, even if we just go down the list, you have the Warriors who have Wiggins. They have the young kid Jonathan Kuminga. They are going to have Draymond if he's healthy. They're going to have Andre Iguodala if he's healthy. Uh, for the Jazz, you're going to have uh, Royce O'Neal. They have Rudy Gay too as well. They have Eric, Eric Pascal, uh, another young guy that they just kind of added last second that's been getting minutes for them too as well. Uh, then you go to the Suns. They have Michael Bridges. They have Cam Johnson. Uh, they have Jay Crowder. Like, if you take our two wings outside of Braun, like, assuming Braun's playing the four, where do our guys even rank up, you know, in, in, in the top three? I could argue that we're our, the wings that we're relying on, they don't even, like, they may not even have roster spots in some of these teams that are on the Western of course not. The Western Conference. And, and, and I think it's really, really difficult for me to put two and two, three, two together when it comes to this team. Like, what was the logic behind going super small on the, on the perimeter and then going super slow? You know what I mean? Like, w- w- with the guys that we would have used as, you know, in, in small ball situations. And it, it, that, that's the part um, that, that just doesn't match up. So it's like, that's what they have to do. Like, they really, really have to find guys that are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 and we need those guys to be able to be athletic. You know, if, if they can't, if they can hit the occasional three, great. But we need guys that can defend badly, or else what you're going to have is, t- is teams do exactly what something like Eric Spolstra did. They'll take AD, uh, or they'll see AD at the five, and they'll put a put a floor spacing shooter or something like that. They'll drag him out all the way to the top of the key, uh, top of the perimeter, and they'll say, "All right, it's a free run." You get by your guy, you're going to get a layup because nobody's mm-hmm. going to be able to help you on the backside, and th- that's just not going to work. I-, I don't care. I don't care any excuses anybody's making about them being vets. In the playoffs, that is going to be the go-to strategy. Every playoff team has done this to the Lakers, and I- look, uh, whether it's because of the players or because it's Frank Vogel, we have no counters for it. Even with AD, we don't have counters for it because we don't have size on the wings. So I can't keep getting mad at Malik Monk. Or Taylor Horton Tucker for not being able, or, or even Russell Westbrook for not being able to defend <laughs> certain guys because they're four inches, five inches shorter than everybody. You know what I mean? Like they're just sh- getting the ball shot over them. So it's it's got to be. We have to balance that out. We have to get size. We have to get athleticism on the wings. Because um, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect Braun to, to have to do it like this the, the way he has uh, in the regular season. Well, what, what Frank asks guards to do is extremely difficult, and I think the idea coming into the season was. Kind of the same idea that that was functionally what happened in 2020. Like we have all this size. So if we get guys that are willing to scram around on the perimeter and chase guys over the top of screens and stuff, then our size will clean everything up on the back end. But they they I think where they fundamentally uh, misread the room, so to speak, was the fact that we did have so much size on the mm-hmm. wing and at the guard position in 2020. And yes, on that initial action, when the guy's chasing over the top of the screen, like it helps to have a little pest like Avery Bradley in that spot. Or and, and I think Frank probably convinced himself like, hey, I can convince Malik Monk to run over the top of screens or I can convince Wayne Ellington to do this. And I think he underestimated just how difficult that job is yeah. and, you know, to consistently do. And one of the things that was the strength of the 27, the 2020 Lakers was that flying around in rotation because the Lakers, especially in that postseason run, they would flat out trap pick and rolls a lot of times, especially with James Harden and with Damian Lillard and yep. even with Jamal Murray in that series. So it, like what was really happening there was you were asking three guys to guard four. And when you're asking three guys to guard four, it just is, it helps when the smallest guy on that back line is Alex Caruso and he's six, six and put his elbow above the rim. 
Right. Like he can just cover more ground. Kyle Kuzma could just cover more ground. KCP could just cover more ground. They were just that overall length and athleticism is what allows you to clean up messes. Cause this is the dirty little secret. There's no such thing as a perfect defense. You're not going to just shut down that first action. And then the possessions over chances are they're, they're going to move the ball around and someone's going to get beat off the dribble. And it's really right. about how you cover for each other and you can't cover for each other when everybody on the floor is small. And I think, I think that's just where they, they went wrong. Now I'm a little bit more aggressive about this than you um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of what I would do this deadline, because I would trade everybody that I could not name LeBron and Anthony Davis. I think fundamentally the culture in the locker room is got this weird stale, like kind of nasty, like mm-hmm. uh, nature to it that I don't think can be fixed by moving one player or moving two players. I think that was the beautiful thing about the 2018, like uh, 20, 2018 Cavs was when they made that trade, it kind of just changed the aura of the locker room. And that's why I yeah. keep using that as an example is like, sometimes you send out guys. Now the big, the big thing that the Cavs team did is bring in athleticism. You know, you turn Jay Crowder into Rodney hood. That's just a more athletic version, even though Jay yeah. Crowder's a I, I think player. they got George, Jordan Clarkson. And- yeah. Athletic. And then Larry Nance. Right, and and Larry Nance looked so good in that regular season. He basically took Tristan Thompson's job in that stretch. So, but the point is, is like, like the the point is, is there are going to be teams in the league that are willing to do trades because they're in a similar situation. They don't like the guys that they have in their locker room and they want to mix things up. Right. And so the way I look at it is like, I would, uh, I would, I would move Russ, which we're going to talk about later. So I'm going to save that, but I would trade Russ for basically anything other than John Wall. But then when it comes to the veteran minimum contracts and when it comes to THT and Kendrick Nunn, I'd flip THT and Kendrick Nunn for somebody that is in that classic wing archetype. And I would even be willing to take Eric Gordon. But I would also be start looking at flipping some of these veteran minimum contracts for other veteran minimum contracts around the league that better fit what we need. Better yeah. attitudes, better effort guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing with, you know, the, the – one of the things when the Lakers sent out that first that first rounder to Washington um, for that Russell Westbrook trade, like uh, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, why would we give it up?" Well, in return, we got three second rounders, and this is kind of where those second rounders sort of help because you need more picks to be able to move, incentivize moving certain guys as opposed to just that one first round pick um, mm-hmm. when it when it comes to that sort of situation. So now, if you have a guy like let's say DeAndre Jordan that you can't play. Well, you can attach a second rounder to him and then look at a veteran minimum guy that may be around, you know, on another team somewhere who the Lakers can actually use and then offer that second round pick. Because the, the, the other team, it, it's really all they're getting is, is a second round pick. That's what they want. They, they don't really care mm-hmm. about the vet men because it's a vet men. So they don't think much of it. So when you have two or three of those and we have three of those from the Washington trade, um, you can move some of those guys at the very back end of the roster around uh, using those second round picks. Um, so. Uh, I, I, I look, I'm not, I'm not against, uh, I, I think people get it very confused when they're, when they're on my timeline and stuff like that. Anybody who wears a Laker, Laker Jersey, whether it's LeBron James or former Celtic Rajon Rondo, um, <laughs> I'm going to root for them to be successful uh, because they're wearing a Laker Jersey. So I, my thing is I only can be positive. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, but you have to also be realistic. If the only way for this roster to improve is to move Russ because of his salary. And there's a team out there that says, Hey, I'll send you these three guys who are role players that we don't want. And, um, you know, you can have them, you know, and this is just hypothetical. Like I'll send you Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald and Damian Jones um, because I don't want their, you know, I don't want their contracts or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, sure. Send me those second round picks uh, and, and you can swap Damian Jones for DeAndre Jordan, you know, that sort of thing. And, and the Lakers kind of add a little bit more athleticism. They add a little bit more, you know, um, 
youth to the roster because mm-hmm. that's all that matters. Russ will get his ring anyways. It doesn't matter. You know, when, like we gave a ring to Marcus Cousins. He never played a single minute for the Lakers. He came up, <laughs> showed up to camp, got hurt, and then he never played. But we, he still got a ring. So I'm not, I'm not worried about any of that. You know, obviously, we, we want the Lakers to win the championship. That, that's the entire goal to begin with and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it has to be something that adds depth. Because I genuinely think guys like Carmelo, guys like Trevor, they need to be the 13th, 14th, like the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th guys on our bench. They can't be the 6th, 7th, and 8th most most important guys on our team. Because I mm-hmm. think that's putting us in a position where we're going to be very unsuccessful because teams are going to look to attack those guys um, over and over again. And that that's kind of what my idea is. My, my thing with... THC is um, I have a bit of a conspiracy theory uh, about this okay. Kendrick Nunn situation. Um, I think Kendrick Nunn was brought in. I, he is hurt. I don't think that he's not hurt, but I think he was brought in to replace THT's role. If THT got moved for somebody else uh, as sort of that six, because he's been a six man before, right? He understands yeah. that role and stuff like that. And we kind of tried to shoehorn Taylor into the starting lineup. And then eventually we moved him out of the starting lineup and now we're playing him with, with the, you know, the, he's our, what, fourth highest paid guy, but he's coming mm-hmm. off the bench and he's kind of been up and down himself. Um, he had a nice stretch of basketball and now he's kind of had like a, you know, blah kind of stretch of basketball and stuff like One that. One good today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that, that's been my running conspiracy theory. Um, none also switched to clutch. Uh, I think he switched to rich ball right before the season started too, uh, after he joined the Lakers. So that's, you know, that's just me being conspiratorial, but, I would move them. That explains why they wanted him over Rudy Gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would move. Uh, to be honest, I would really move them for wings. Like I, I've floated the idea of like if you can if you can trade THT for like two wings on a team, like right. So the the, the example I gave is like to Indiana. Like we just played Indiana. They had Justin Holiday, six six, um, three and D kind of guy. Same same kind of role that KCP sort of played. He runs a lot of the same sets. That, that come off the DHO and, and just kind of pull up sort of sets that, um, you know, KCP would run or, or, you know, Ellington would run or, and, and then they have another guy, Tory Craig, um, another six, eight, six, nine wing guy likes to hustle. We'll scrap. Uh, we don't have to ask LeBron to do that. He was the one who was guarding LeBron in our last Indiana matchup, uh, that entire second half pressing Braun to make sure that he couldn't get involved. Like if you can like financially, you could trade just THC, and and maybe a second round pick or two second round picks, and you can add those guys. I'm not saying that's what we should do, but there's ways to go about improving the depth on this roster. That's uh, a great example. That's a great example of a less flashy trade that definitely improves the team. Right. Yeah. And then and then you know like if if, if we're trying to slot guys down, now you can change Mello's rotation. Now you can play maybe Mello and Tory Craig. You know, hypothetically together. Um, and, and now it's not as much of an issue because you have a guy who's an isolation scorer, can shoot the three kind of like, how, you know, in that brawn role. And then you have a dedicated three and D defensive guy who can push the pace. Like you see Stanley John, like we haven't, we haven't mentioned him so far. Look at Stanley Johnson. Like, look at how much of an impact he has just with his energy at times. Like that Orlando game, we couldn't score for crap. And then he's just grabbing the rebound and running, you know, he's just running down the floor, putting pressure on, on the magic defenders and stuff like that. Like we need energy, we need youth, and and th- I really, really think that's the direction that this team has to go in. Because these other teams, they're not going to look to outskill us; they're just going to try to beat us up. You know, they're, yep. they're going to try to out athlete us. 
Nope, I 100% agree. And that that just that needs to be the general approach. Um, and I, I would have a kind of an order of operations, right? Like I think I'd look, I'd throw everything at Jeremy Grant. And then what I would do is I'd set up backup, like backup deals, you know, of the, of the ilk that you just described. There's one that Cran just has thrown out that I actually like with Kenrich Williams, where you'd, you'd just right. basically throw Kendrick Nunn at, and get, bring back Mike Muscala and Kendrick Williams, even though I'm not as big on Muscala as he is. I, Kendrick Williams is another one of those guys, just big and athletic and plays really hard. And you can put him in that situation and it can be better. I think that, you know, just kind of to put a bow on the, on the trade deadline concept, the idea of of resetting the season, I think, is is really important. There is, like I said before, there's an energy around this team that isn't good. They, they, there's been a lot of like saying the right things to the press, um, mm-hmm. you know, from specific characters. I think Melo did a good job of that the other night to try to cool off the Russell Westbrook thing. And everyone's been handling well. Even LeBron, who has had a history of being super passive aggressive in moments like this, has been pretty good uh, in terms of his overall. Yeah, even his body language, when, though he's had some bad moments, hasn't been that bad. So, like, the, every, the, everything looks good, but, like, as we know as, our, as fans who have watched this team every night, that lack of consistent energy to me yeah. is, like, indicative of a, of a fundamental flaw within the chemistry of the roster. So the way I'd look at it is, like, you know, Anthony Davis is coming back. Obviously a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if you can somehow – you know, use the men in black, you know, flash stick thing to just kind of like, to just kind of like reset everybody's psyche going into this last stretch where it's like, Hey, look, we got LeBron and Anthony Davis back and here's all these new players. Even if they keep Russ, just by resetting everything around the situation, you might be able to trigger just kind of like that. It's kind of like that new, it's, it's that new year's resolution type of mentality. Like it be, we trick ourselves because it's January 1st. Mm-hmm. that things are new when really it's just more of the same, you know, that's kind of the idea that I would go with here is like this team just needs to hit the reset button. Obviously this concoction of players isn't working. Even if you kept a baseline talent level, but just brought in different talent, you sure. might have a better chance of reinvigorating this because effort has been an issue this season. Obviously it's one of many issues, but this consistent lack of effort coming in, like guys not communicating on switches, just not being willing to do their job on defense guys. Yeah. You know, th- like that, that's not something that that's, that that's not something that is an outlier experience in this season. It's been like the opposite of the 2020 Lakers, the 2020 Lakers, when you'd see them have a lackadaisical night, you look at it and you'd be like, that's strange. And then yeah. they come, then they come out the next night, whoop someone's ass. Whereas like yeah, this yeah, team, yeah. this team, this team, it's been the exact opposite. we, we have these unusual games like the Utah game where it's like, man, I don't even recognize these guys, but more often than not, it's like tonight or like it was against the nuggets or even like that magic game, which was a travesty of a basketball game in a lot of ways. But I just think I would go with a reset. Yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with you. Like I, I, I think anything is really on the table right now. Um, the, the, well, I guess the only reason why I do, I do give a little pushback on the rust thing is because I think Braun and AD maybe um advocating to keep him like kind of behind the scenes because a lot of you know it's been well documented that they're the ones who had the conversation with them about telling him how things would work and stuff like that so if they move him you know that kind of looks bad on them um and and you know obviously we we juxtapose that with the conversation they had with Damian Lillard um earlier in the season too as well uh where they you know like they basically told Dame this is what it would be like this is what it's like playing for the Lakers and then he basically said, you know, nah. And then he basically 
this is one of my things where I was trying to explain to Laker fans, like Dame had a conversation with with Russ and AD, or sorry, not Russ and AD, with, with Braun and AD. And then he, you know, obviously he was thinking about it, but when the going got tough for Dame, he turned around and used that conversation as like PR spin. Yeah. People, like, like people, you know what I mean? Like, and so I'm not saying that that's that's that we should give Russ more credit, but we should kind of give Russ a little bit of credit. Like, it, if anything goes wrong with the scene, he could shoot 50, 40, 90 for the entire season. But if we don't win a championship, it's obviously a failure, right? Like, mm-hmm. that, that's the way Laker fans look at this sort of thing. Um, and, and and that's my thing. Like, if we look at if if our, our measurement is just are we going to win a championship or not, regardless of how much depth we have, how much talent we have how well a specific player is playing versus some other player. And obviously as analysts, we want to see some kind of consistency like we saw with the championship teams that we can at least look at and say, okay, you know what? I can at least count on this team to be consistently good defensively. Mm -hmm. We can figure out the offensive stuff, you know, like, Hey, when Rondo comes in, the the offense goes to crap, you know, like hopefully that can get fixed in the playoffs. And it did. We won a championship, but there's no consistency with this team anywhere. Like, like Jason, there was a stretch of basketball where it was, where it was uh, Russ and AD and LeBron was out, and the Lakers were like a top 10 defensive team. Yeah. And then AD goes out, and LeBron comes back, and all of a sudden, we're like, I forgot what we, what we saw, we were like a number five offensive team, but our defense is super garbage. So it's just like, what is going on with this team? There's no consistency anywhere. And, and that's, I think that's, we have to find some sort of consistency if we're, if we're going to be making any trades. That, that's, just, that's just what we need. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. There hasn't been one thing this year that they've consistently done well. Um, I, I, I would say I, if I had to choose one, I'd say maybe LeBron's offense. You know, oh, he's, been, though, he's, he's, been, he's been unbelievable. Like, that, it, it, yeah. if nothing else, LeBron has been out of his mind. I, 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 even I didn't think – like, I, thought, I knew he would be good. Like, 25, 7, and 7 good. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. not – not hey, I'm about to win the scoring title, and <laughs> and we don't have Anthony Davis, but we're still basically a 500 team uh, with a bunch, you know, me, Russ, and a bunch of minimum contracts, basically. So that that's that's been kind of nuts. All right, guys, that's the end of part one. Part two of this podcast, I'm going to post on Monday at five o'clock Mountain Standard Time in the afternoon. Thank you guys again, as always, for your support. We will be back with our normal post game show on Tuesday after the Brooklyn Nets game as well.